0: But in truth, if you're an independent author and you're taking it seriously, you know, my book was edited by, well, her name's Joyce Graham, and she's a brilliant editor. Um, the cover was professionally done by a graphic designer named Rola uh, Salib. Beautifully done. These are all elements that if I was traditionally published, the publisher would do independent author. It's my responsibility to just to do the work, put in the hard work, um, so that I could be seen as, uh, you know, a viable writer. and. To uh, it shows. I mean, I get a lot of compliments on the cover. Uh, Rola did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, my editor saved my life. If I didn't spend, you know, the time and money with her, my first draft <laughs> would be uh, poo pooable. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you 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 reach out and you get help from other people, uh, and that's sort of what Timbercrest Publishing sort of became in the sense that it evolved because I realized that I have the skills now that I could offer other independent authors uh, to help them pursue their dreams too. And um, well, you know, the feeling yeah. like receiving your book in print yeah. for the first time in a box yeah. or from the mail is an amazing, amazing feeling. It's I like to joke, but like after, you know, holding my children for the first time my and maybe <laughs> marriage, <laughs> holding my book for the first time yeah. is an amazing, amazing feeling.
1: Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Ozzy is in the studio with me. And uh, again, a bit of a pouty face because it is just pouring down rain in buckets where we are. And I'm I'm maybe a diehard runner, but I, I don't run in this type of rain. So anyways, um, just giving everyone the heads up. I am having an editor come on the podcast in the beginning of March, so please email me your questions, or pop onto JCB Art Studio Joanna Vanderflook Facebook page, and just post your questions of what you would like to um, like like me to, to ask the editor, and I will try to ask as many questions as possible, um, or drop me a line at the JCB Art Studio. Net. that's the website page. So this is episode five of season two and in today's podcast I'm having a discussion with an indie author who not only self-published his own novels but also through his publishing business has published the novels of other authors. He is an advocate for promoting indie authors, and helping them fulfill their book publishing dreams. His first novel, Straight Men in Gay Bars, has been sold internationally. His short stories have been published in various literary magazines, in print and online. His Facebook group, Rocky Point Writers, is a great and fun group to belong to. I'm part of the group. Um, and like many of us, this author, he can't wait until the time comes when we can actually be in a room at a conference, talk about books and writing, not worry about masks, not worry about being within six feet of each other. So today we're going to talk about his latest book, Death in Half Moon Bay, which I'm thoroughly enjoying, and it takes place in Seas. C- c Schelt, eric de souza welcome to jcb art studio from the dressing room
0: hi joanna thank you so much for having me today
1: i have to tell you your first novel straight men in gay bars that's a, a whole another podcast you know <laughs> <laughs> i'm very is that a, was that am i did i hear right that's a memoir
0: uh memoir creative non-fiction it's cool. let's say eighty percent real
1: oh wow wow we 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 have to talk about that like i say that's a whole nother podcast right <laughs> it's a very different <laughs> genre <laughs> okay before we get into your novel death in half moon bay i wanted to know why you dedicated the book to your mother
0: um well it's written for her uh well you mentioned my first book um straight men and gay bars it's uh send me a memoir about myself when I moved to uh, Vancouver uh, in my 20s uh drank a lot had some let's call it sexual adventures and yeah. uh not maybe the kind of thing my mom wanted to read so you know oh, she was very yeah. proud of me for uh writing my first book um yeah. but at the same time she uh, like I used this term in Death in Half Moon Bay, she was not amused. So she doesn't even discuss it with me. And, uh, you know, to be fair, not too many people want to read about their children's sex lives. So yeah. uh, I decided, uh, you know, the next book's for you, Mom. So
1: yeah.
0: I wrote it uh, in a genre that uh, her and I both love. We both love mysteries. Um, yeah. We grew, up, or I grew up on them, and she introduced me to many great writers. Uh, so I was like, this one's for you, Mom. So right from the beginning... Everything was designed for a book that she would enjoy.
1: Wow. Okay. Now I, you know, because you write your heroine, it's you write in the female point of view. Mm -hmm. And great job, Eric. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Because now as I started reading Death in Half Moon Bay, like I said, I'm enjoying it a lot. And it's the subtle humor in it. And I love Nero. (laughs) <laughs> and I wondered, we're, we're going to talk about Nero. <laughs> and I, I wondered what movies you like, because your novel reminds me of a, of a classic movie, a movie which Judy Dench would star in.
0: Uh, yeah, I, when I think of them, I think of more of, of television. Uh, again, going back to my mother, um, we together watched a lot of sort of the BBC uh, mysteries. So the Agus Christie, uh, Hercule Perrault's, uh the uh, Miss Marple's, the Sherlock Holmes. And uh, even though they're not movies, they were often uh, filmed as like two separate episodes. So they, they would be about 90 minutes long. Uh, I'm actually re-watching them now on uh, uh, BritBox. And I just mm-hmm. enjoy them so much. And there's an actress, uh, Geraldine McEwen, who was Miss Marple, and I just love everything she does.
1: Well, okay, you kind of kind of answered my next question a little bit you know i feel like with this podcast i have been given this fantastic buffet table (laughs) of canadian fiction it is amazing and i find when you write and you're you're focusing on your work you know your style and it is it is so cool when you you pick up a book and it's just a a, a totally different voice so i was i was wondering and you kind of you you touched upon this what authors had an impact on you have you read
0: um well obviously miss marple but um well I, I love your podcast i'm a big fan of it and you keep on interviewing oh. all my favorite writers so so i thank you oh, for that cool. but so you just had brenda Chapman on she's fantastic uh yeah. before that um barbara Franken. Uh, i love her uh you interviewed dave butler you know canadian mystery yeah. writers are are my favorite um i almost want to say I borrow a lot of my style from uh, a fellow writer who lives near me, Deborah uh, pretty Kong. She wrote a mystery novel or a mystery series uh, and it's written in third person fixed. And I sort of borrowed that point of view from her. So you're not technically in Suzanne's head the entire time. It's not told in first person point of view. Uh, it's yeah. third person, but the narrator never leaves that person. So this way, okay. the, um, the uh the hero could basically hide some thoughts from you so you're experiencing everything they're experiencing uh, your point of view is never taken away so you never get secrets that the hero or the detective doesn't know about everything you see is what the hero sees or the detective sees and you stay you stay there so there's no cheating and uh, i borrowed that style from deborah purdy kong and i i love that point of view
1: wow we need to get Deborah on here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she, this is my first mystery, and she's written, I think she, nine or 10.
1: Yeah. So, a
0: prolific writer. Maybe
1: you and I, maybe we can work on her, both you and I. Hey,
0: <laughs> uh, I'll introduce you to her. Oh, you've met her. Yeah. Sorry. You've met her at Rocky Point. I Riders. have
1: met her. So, we, 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 we got to work on her to get her on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm we, a member,
0: of, sorry, uh, I'm a member of the Port Media Writers Group, and she's been my teacher for many years. So, a big fan okay. of hers. Okay.
1: She, uh, and i find with the rocky rocky point writers group she's been very helpful incredibly helpful you know just the, all the knowledge she has so yeah we we, we, we got to get we we'll get her on here <laughs> yeah with the books i've been reading i feel like i've been all over canada i i've been in the uk i've been in australia death and half moon bay takes place in seashells. Can you tell our listeners what your mystery novel is about and why Seashell? Well, Sechelt,
0: um, well, as you know, Sechelt is um, the coastline of British Columbia. Um, you've said many times you live on Vancouver Island. So Sechelt overlooks Vancouver Island. And it's a beautiful spot for Canada or peace in Canada. Um, it's relatively warm. Uh, it's called the Sunshine Coast, the coastline, because it gets like ten days more sun than we do in Vancouver, and it's an ideal retirement uh, area for for many um, Canadians. So uh, I said it there partially uh, because my parents live there, uh, and I I mean I am borrowing a little bit from their life. Seashell's right beside a community called um, Half Moon Bay, so I cheated a little bit and moved my parents from Seashelt to Half Moon Bay only because death in Seashelt doesn't sound nearly as good as death in Half Moon Bay. Uh, And uh, the air is just made for fiction writing because it's, it's beside Secret Cove is a real place. Smuggler's Cove is a real place there. Uh, It's fairly isolated. It's a quiet town. It's just, it's just right for a cozy mystery.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's, it's so neat for me. And you've heard on the podcast how many of us were told, "Oh, don't situate your story in Canada." And it's like, "Well, why not?" I mean, I want to read about my own backyard, right? So, I find that's really cool. So, hold on, your story—what is it about though? Tell our readers what it's about.
0: Uh, Well, as I mentioned, so Suzanne and her husband Charles Rickson, uh, retired, quaint, quiet community. They're they're quite happy. Uh, They live in a seniors' community, which. I sometimes compare it to a high school. They trade in gossip, and there's lots of rumors going around and, you know, the old ladies like to trade their secrets and uh, it's like a commodity for them. Um, and life's quite idyllic. Um, she does have a political rival that she's butted head with for the last three years. And they considered themselves nemesis and a, a murder occurs. And Suzanne's been framed for that murder. It's a poisoning and the, the poison is found in a, a jar of jam that, Suzanne had just given her the night before. So she's sort of an obvious suspect, and she has to uh, try and clear her name. In Suzanne's mind, uh, she's certain that her political rival, Regina, is the murderer, and she goes about trying to prove it. But evidence keeps mounting, always turning back and looking, Mm -hmm. as if Suzanne did it. Um, In the court of public opinion, she's losing very badly. uh, But because she's so fixed on justice and you know, it doesn't really matter about the opinion of other people. Uh, She's able to stay on course. Um, I'm not going to tell you if Regina did it or not, (laughs) but uh, but eventually (laughs) she is able to unravel uh, not only like the murder, but there's a lot of secrets in Secret Cove and she's able to uncover a good chunk of them. Cool.
1: With working on a novel, we'll get kind of into the, the, the wheels and bolts and and working with the novel right now for myself, I'm working on, I call it the technicalities um, because I'm getting ready to hand it over to my editor. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I think sometimes readers don't realize with me, my murder victim, I am working out technicalities that I have to have absolutely crystal clear. And, um, and what I don't think re- readers realize is that even if this character, the murder victim, gets plays a small role in my novel, the backstory and his actions, making sure I don't give it away. <laughs> i That's why I paused because I thought, okay, I've got more than one he. Okay. <laughs> his actions behind the scenes, off the pages, have to be crystal clear and have to be important. and. Um, so everything that does come forward makes sense. And I was wondering, with, with your writing, did you find the backstory and the plotting, you, did you spend, like, I don't want to say you spend just about as much time on the backstory, but how have you approached your backstory and making it work so the plot that everyone else reads is, is cohesive?
0: i think it's through good characters um if you're creating a three-dimensional character not only of your protagonist uh you know you should write one also about your victim like you said you know if they are only in a chapter or two uh there's a reason why they were killed um so you, you do have to know that um so the more you know of your victim the better and i think most crime writers do that uh obviously um the villain is a key character so the villain is moving behind the scenes constantly. So you don't get to see their point of view or often you don't get to see their point of view, but you have to know that as time goes by they're doing things behind the scenes to make life more difficult for your detective. So you should have a pretty good idea of your villain, both their motives, you know, their mind frame uh, and you know how much scheming they're doing just to to make uh, the mystery that much deeper. But I I went a little bit farther and I'm sure a lot of writers do too, but my my sub characters also had backstories, and I thought that made them more interesting. So, giving them life and giving them a history, uh, even as um, on page, you probably don't get to read half of what I wrote for some of my other characters. But I had to get into their mind frame, so uh, I would know what they were feeling. Uh, I think in a lot of mysteries, there's not that much um, reaction to the trauma of someone being murdered. Yeah. Uh, so I have people in the story that are, that are reacting quite badly, um, due to it, and they're not mm-hmm. functioning at a hundred percent. Uh, and at the same time, there's other characters who are sort of scheming and they're more opp- opportunistic knowing that, uh, because of this death, uh, you know, there's opportunities that arise and they're out to get those opportunities. Um, so I think the more backstory mm-hmm. you give for all your characters, the deeper your story.
1: Yeah. And like I said, there's, there's so much um, that goes on that doesn't even get on the page. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know I've had discussions with um, my friend, Carol Ann, and I'm saying to her, okay, you know, Jade's reaction, because who, God, Eric, I don't want to get this way. (laughs) (laughs) Her, Her reaction, because the person who does get murdered is close but she doesn't have a good relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not going to be the, the typical reaction of a loved one of a a very cared for loved one. But it's like, what type of reaction is she going to have? Right. You know, so it's, it's all fascinating. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've I've just recently read your unraveling too. And I've noticed that some of your sub characters obviously are reacting to the death of, That individual in different ways too. So, so just like my own story, I I saw that there was some trauma there, not just from your protagonist, but from some of the other characters. And uh, you write about lawyers, so you know there's a lot of scheming going on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about your heroine, Suzanne um Now, was she inspired by your mother, or was she a combination of of different women?
0: Um, She would be very much inspired by my mother, um, almost um, like a starting point, I think is the best way to put it. Um, my mom hasn't lived through this kind of trauma, luckily. Um, she's never been framed for a murder before. But uh, I sort of I took it as, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of good character-driven literature is how would normal people approach abnormal situations yeah. And how how um, how not only how did they solve the problem, how did they react to the problem, how does it affect their relationships with other people? Um, like I said, she's driven from the beginning that she's obsessed that Regina, her nemesis is the is the wrongdoer. Yeah. Uh, and that creates conflict with her family because they think that maybe she needs to be a little bit more open-minded about what's going on. Uh, so there's some trust issues that she has to uh, deal with so yeah it started with my mom but it's not it doesn't it didn't end with my mom um it's it's she's not a complete character um you know a complete uh copy of my mother but uh the way she thinks is very much the same very practical very you know stubborn sometimes considered a wrong word but my mom's very stubborn and it could be sort of a strength and it can be a weakness sometimes but it, it it sort of defines who suzanne is well
1: that's neat and i'm wondering if your mom um, recognized certain aspects of Suzanne. Has she, when she, has she she's she's read this book, right?
0: Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. She's she sees herself. She knows um, it's not the first time I've borrowed a real person and made them into a character. Uh, I tell them in advance that I'm doing it. So my mom actually named Suzanne. So I'm like, Mom, I'm writing a character, uh, you know, heavily based yeah. on you. What would you name this character? So she she actually named Suzanne. And even Rickson um, is my grandmother's uh, maiden name. And it just had a nice sound to it,
1: Suzanne rixon That is so cool. Uh, neat. Okay. So Suzanne is our sleuth, and she's concerned that the police are, are, I, I, yeah, are going to suggest that she's the murderer, because her poor jam was, you know, tainted, and, and, and that's what killed the victim. What made you decide? Tainted jam. So I'm going to ask, did you have a similar experience? Like not necessarily with poison, but what made you what just what made you decide? Okay, we're we're going, we're gonna do this with tainted jam.
0: (laughs) Partly research. Uh so I guess it's a little bit of an homage using poison as the murder. Um, the means of the murder is sort of an homage to I guess Christy. Uh she loved killing people with with uh, different toxins. Uh, So I bought myself a book and I did my research. It's called Deadly Doses, a writer's guide to poisons. And it's like pages of different poisons. Um, When they've been referenced in different books, the reaction that the victim would have, how quick, you know, what sort of things you have to do to cure that person of it, how long it would take for that poison to react to the person. So I did that research and I chose, or I did a little research in sort of botany and seeing, you know, we're surrounded by poisonous plants. Yeah. Uh, and then, how how you would hide um, that particular toxin so the person eating it wouldn't notice it. And um, the poison I use, Lily of the Valley, is very sweet. So, if you hide it in uh, a sweet food like okay. jam, the victim won't know that they're consuming it.
1: Okay. Okay. So, and a little know- bit of research. <laughs> okay. And I, I want to, I know I will get an email saying, what was the book Eric said? So, that was Deadly Doses.
0: Uh Deadly Doses, uh, a writer's guide to poisons. It was written by uh Sarita uh Stevens with Anne uh I'm gonna pronounce her name wrong. Uh clan Klanner.
1: Okay. I- I've written it down here. I- I've had that. I've had emails. What what was that book?
0: <laughs> right? So- <laughs> yeah, it's actually a series called the Who Done It series. So oh, they go okay. through all types of different things. It's a great thing for mystery writers to have one source. I know the internet's great, yeah. but um, this is sort of one source, but it also tells you like the history, like, oh, you know, I guess Christie used it in this book before. And, you know, it's, there's been famous cases in reality. Some people have died of this th- poison, but also literary characters that have been used before.
1: Cool. I've written it down for myself, too. Good. Oh, oh, Eric, hold on here. Um, Ozzy's interrupting us for a second here. <laughs> he's um, Hold on. He's He's passing me a note. And Ozzy, okay, he, he has a couple of questions for you. Ozzy wants to know, was Nero, I got this right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Ozzy wants to know if Nero was in, was inspired by a real-life French bulldog. Um,
0: Ozzy was right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nero was inspired by uh, my brother-in-law's dog. Uh, He has a dog named Sherman. Um, Sherman has kind of a mean disposition, so this guy's a little bit nicer. Um, I I had to picture sort of what kind of dog would Suzanne have and the relationship even that Suzanne would have with the dog and what Charles would have with the dog. Uh, Being dog owners uh, like yourself, they're a part of the family, so Nero's very much a part of their family too. Um, He inspires them to be active, so they go for walks. Uh, it actually gets them on their feet (laughs) quite often uh you know rain or shine charles is out there walking his dog because that's the person charles is he's so loyal to his dog that no matter what no matter how he's feeling he's going to walk his dog twice a day um and nero's like velcro to him he just loves his owner so they're they're a very close relationship with their dog okay okay and oh
1: okay and you want one more? Yeah, he has one more question for us. Sorry about this. Okay, Ozzy wants to know if Sherman was compensated appropriately with doggy treats <laughs> for being the inspiration.
0: I, I think if Sherman ever saw the cover of my book, even has Nero on um, on the cover. Uh, I know he's in a very loving family, so they probably give him more than enough
1: treats. Okay, okay, Ozzy, <laughs> we're good. We're good. Okay, okay. So let's get back to the program here. Okay. So getting into Nero. Okay, uh, by the way, I love this this dog in your book. And like you said, he is on the book cover, which had me well, you have, you've just already explained who Nero okay. is, right? Um and how okay, so have you ever thought of writing a short story involving Nero as kind of the 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 investigator or or leading, you know, Pointing out kind of clues and stuff Um, like
0: that. I would say that I never considered it until people keep asking me to do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, I, I know there is cozy literature around the dog. Maybe I should do a short story. Even my kids are asking me to do it. Uh, I'm starting to pen my second novel. uh, And uh, I put another dog in it. Uh, He's a great Dane and his name's tiny sort of a, that was my wife's influence. She said, "I always wanted a great dane named Tiny." So I was like, "Well, I'll write you one." <laughs> so uh, the victim actually owns Tiny. Uh, so I was starting to think in my head, how would a, a dog react at a crime scene, and how they were going to react uh, without their owner and stuff. So the book's very heavily centered around this dog, and I think obviously Nero's going to be in there too, and they'll they'll hang out together. And I thought it'd be a cute image. Well, you do, <laughs> the tiny bulldog and the great dane.
1: well you do it so well with that dog like i i i as i'm reading it you know and having a dog you know it is so well done and yeah oh, i've just kind of lost my train of, <laughs> of thought here for a second Here, sorry <laughs> okay let's get we'll get back to the program again so talking oh i know what it was okay so what i've i've seen um with doing book promotion People will do is little short stories of some of the minor characters, and they will send that out as a little mm-hmm. free book, you know, just to give publicity to the main book. That's what I was trying to say. Okay, getting back to your your main characters, uh you have Staff Sergeant Laval, and he's French mm-hmm. Canadian. I enjoyed his approach and and how he especially how he approached the group at the victim's funeral, and Reading about him gave me comfort, but then as I've been reading a little bit more, it's like, ooh, you know, uh, about the staff sergeant. But what what I found was, I wanted to know why you made him a French Canadian RCMP officer, and do you feel that by having a French Canadian RCMP officer, it's an like a form of Canadiana? Because it, it honestly, it did. It felt it did feel comforting reading that it. We had a French Canadian staff sergeant in in your novel. Um, partially,
0: uh, I, I, maybe an homage to my own upbringing. Um, I'm I was born in Montreal, and I kind of liked having the um, the French Canadian staff sergeant. Like we were talking about backstories of people. I've I've written quite a lot about him. I, that I probably I like notes of him. Like I know his whole entire life <laughs> up to this point. So I, I I could write a novel of his backstory. I've written so much about him. He's, he's such an interesting character and you don't really get to know him yet. Um, this is intended to be a series and um, you, you'll you'll get to know him a lot more. He's an interesting character in the sense that if Suzanne ever pictures herself as Miss Marple, uh, he would be Hülkül Uh He actually even makes a few references. Like yeah. I got to use my little gray cells here. So sort of as a nod that yeah. Suzanne would pick up that like, oh, he's a, you know, a true sleuth like me. So it's more than a job for him. It's even mentioned, you know, like he injects himself into this case more than he probably should at his uh, level or at his rank, but he just can't ignore a good mystery. So, uh, like you said, he has a different approach than a lot of other people. He uh, plays to be very jovial and um, a nice guy, uh, but he's using that niceness to let you off your guard. So Suzanne a little bit is like, well, I trust him. He's a smart guy, but her family's trying to tell her like, look, he's got a history of building a case by befriending the suspects and then just turning on you in a dime. And he's relatively young to be in his, his rank. So he's, he's done it by solving crimes. Yeah. So he's very good at his job.
1: Well, that's cool. Uh, That's neat. So, and you do that again, you make another nod and that is to the late and amazing author L.R. Wright. You make a reference to her, and I saw that, and I thought, "Way to go!" Right? So, have you, have you been a fan of LR Wright's fiction? Um,
0: again, I, 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 there's lots of little nods <laughs> to our to our past. Even Nero's yeah. is a uh, taken from Nero Wolfe, um, sort of Golden Age detective. Um, okay. So, LR Wright is is a genius. Um, probably, you know, the I don't know the queen of Canadian um, crime writing. Um, uh, she won
1: yeah
0: several big American awards like the Amer um, the Edgar Allan Poe Award. Um, and she like maybe put yeah. Canadian crime writing on the on the map. Uh, and f- when I first started yeah. discussing one of the, we mentioned uh, Deborah Purdy Kong, sh- she being my teacher, mm-hmm. she was one of the first people that I went to go speak to, saying, "Oh, I want to set a, a, a you know a cozy crime story in the Sunshine Coast." And she's like, well, everybody's going to compare you to L.R. Wright. And I was like, who? So so I had to look her up and then became a fan almost instantly. And yeah, she's, Deborah's right. It's kind of like if you wrote a story, you know, in the Algonquins, you're going to think Louis Penny. Like there there are certain settings that writers have used so much that you're going to say, hey, you're just using somebody else's setting. And it's true. I am using a setting that she established. But I mean, she wrote about it 40, 40 both 30, 40 years ago. And uh, if you read the description of Sechelt, uh, then and now it's a quite different community. But uh, I did have to give, I think I gave two yeah. nods to L.R. Wright in the book of basically saying, uh, yeah, I know, I'm, uh, you know, I've got big footsteps to be <laughs> that I'm following in.
1: But you know, Eric, I didn't make the comparison. I, I uh, yeah, I didn't make the comparison. I mean, I, I've my location is Victoria. You know, I'm sure there's other authors <laughs> out there who've written about Victoria, and it's just where you've grown up. It's what you're familiar with, you know. So, and if you want to put your novel in Seashell, <laughs> go for it.
0: Right? Uh, I you agree. Know? I just thought it was it was worth <laughs> a nod. So, the, um, it's almost like the, yeah. that love of movies again and Marvel movies bit of like little Easter eggs. So, I've planted quite a few little Easter eggs in the, in, the, in my story that uh, not everybody picks up on.
1: Well, I also thought it was a a very nice um, sign of respect. Also, when I saw her name, and I thought, "That's this is cool. This is I I got it as that." Like this is thank you because that was the intention. What is your favorite part of writing, or do you have a favorite part in Death in Half Moon Bay? Um,
0: My favorite part of writing is sort of the beginning. Um, uh, I'm I'm sure you feel it too when you're when you're at that planning stage and you're trying to plan the perfect murder and uh, creating this world, like an entire world in your head, uh, it's almost hard to live a regular life because because you're just focused on it. And I just love being in that place, um, knowing that there's been so many great writers b- before me. You know, I want to give due credit to those who came before me. So uh, I don't want to diminish the um, the legacy of crime writing. I want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to add to it or I want to be a part of it. Uh, So I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with writing a great story and you really have to live in that world that you're creating in order to create a good world. Uh, And then you have to like, Oh, just the second, I have to go make dinner. And (laughs) my family's talking to me and I got to go help my son with his homework (laughs) and stuff like that. And it's kind of like pulled out of it, but I love being there. I love like, like you mentioned jogging. I love jogging or going for walks and just like me and my dog and just focusing on my story and then sometimes life kind of gives you little inspirations here and there. And then it's like, Oh, I got to write about that. And it sort of adds to the story. Yeah. But that, that, that world creating is just a beautiful spot. I find the hard work is afterwards when, when you're editing and you're in like, yeah. you know, uh, version number seven. <laughs> I just like toiling over every word. I know it's part of the job, but, um, I love the beginning.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting when you said about kind of bringing some real life experiences in because on Saturday with my mask, I actually had now, I know what probably everyone's wondering, how do you have a dentist appointment (laughs) wearing a mask, right? But With my mask, I went and had a dentist appointment and I was actually excited to to kind of get out of my little box here. That's why I refer to it in my, you know, during this, this, uh, this pandemic, And my, I can't believe I'm going to be talking to people about my (laughs) teeth. Sorry, but there's a point. (laughs) But what got me was my dentist told me that I had uneventful (laughs) teeth. And I just thought I would never have thought that up, you know, And and I just thought that is going in my story. You know, like I want to bring something real. So it's not like going to be a scene but one of my characters is going to come and meet like because I know my Jade and her sister meet and and do some things and one of them's going to come from a dentist appointment <laughs> and that's exactly what she's going to say right because how many of us go so how was it at the dentist right <laughs> I have uneventful an teeth anyway sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, yeah so that actually leads into our next our next discussion about dialogue. So Eric, your dialogue is real. And there's one particular scene when Suzanne is is having an argument with her daughter. And I've been there. (laughs) And I'm reading it. And I could feel the tension rising in myself as Suzanne and her daughter, Lisa, are having this argument and the wrong things are being said, and I'm just like, "Oh, don't say that!" <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> you know? so do you feel dialogue is one of your one one of your writing strengths? Um,
0: I don't want to sound pretentious, but yes, um, <laughs> I, I've studied screenplay writing, um, also in a in a mystery or in a a story like mine where there there really isn't that much action. Uh, in the sense, you know, there's no car chases or, uh, you know, shootings or anything like that. Uh, the tension is in the dialogue. So yeah. it's it's how Suzanne confronts people, uh, not only potential suspects, but, you know, sort of the realism of daily life. Um, you know, we have conflict with our parents. And when yeah. um, I'm thinking of a person like Suzanne... Uh, yeah. having a daughter who has a similar headspace uh th- they're going to yeah. butt heads on things like how they raise the grandchildren uh they're, yeah. they're going to have different points of views and to a certain degree suzanne's going to manipulate the situation if she has to so it's more than just dialogue she she might you know involve other players if she has to she's she has to win sometimes and it's sometimes to her detriment and she realizes it you know like it could damage relationships if all you're thinking of doing always is winning every argument. Um, Yeah. But you can't change your ways. (laughs) So so, uh, she has a few doozies with her, with her daughters.
1: Yeah. And oh my God. Yeah. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading it. I'm like, Oh, 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 Oh no. I've
0: had similar conversations with my mom.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you love them dearly and you, yeah. uh, uh. But anyways, I have two daughters. They're grown and they're doing knock on wood. They're healthy and they're doing well. Right. So.
0: Great. My two boys are still teenagers, So I'm I'm in that stage of life.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I used to work for the office of the police complaint commissioner. And I know about the internal investigations office, the IIO which you mentioned in your book. And um, when Mm -hmm. I originally wrote The Unraveling and I was told that you need to place your novel in the US, no one wants to read a book situated in Canada. Um, It made me smile. Like I said, when I was reading your narrative about Caroline, Suzanne's daughter, she's an RCMP member and her conduct is being reviewed by the IIO. And I just thought, and i don't want to say yes but i just thought okay this is real right this is yeah and i wanted to know if there was any particular reason why you wanted caroline's character that being a part of it
0: um caroline's character in my head is the fictional character is actually older than the suzanne character uh i've written quite a lot about caroline um I just thought in a lot of ways the world doesn't need another female police officer. I sort of joke with my wife that there's probably more fictional police officers than there are real police o- female police officers. and Maybe that's not a good thing, but I didn't think I had to write that story anymore. Uh, but I have written them. Um, I, I know Carolyn intricately, um, and the, the poor girl suffers quite a lot. Uh, she's had a lot of trauma in her life, uh, and she has to deal with it and uh, her this investigation is sort of the last draw for her. Um, so even though she's not a main character in this story, uh, I actually just published a novella which uh, does focus on this case of, uh, and uh, it actually is in first person point of view so dealing with uh, both uh, mentally but also the stress of her job being a, a, a VPD officer in Vancouver and uh, you can see her breaking. Yeah. So a lot of the story in this story like she's she's Carolyn's still trying to conceal. Her inner feelings, yeah. um, and her mom knows something's wrong, um, but she doesn't really even know. She doesn't have the tools to approach the troubles that um, um, Carolyn's suffering from. But um, okay. Suzanne's father was a World War II vet, so she okay. sort of knows how soldiers often internalize their their um, their inner demons. And so, yeah. so she her father was always very standoffish and didn't want to talk about it. He just, almost like the British stiff upper lip, don't just uh, let it consume him, but um, tried to maintain relationships with his family. Carolyn's trying to do the same thing, but she's not succeeding very well.
1: What's the name of the novella?
0: Uh, The novella has um, uh, a stronger title. It's called uh, The Stanley Park Rapist. Uh, I wrestled with it because I know it's sort of a, a title that'll unjar you a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I didn't want my reader to automatically assume I was writing another cozy, uh, so I didn't okay. want to take uh, the reader going, "Oh, look, another cozy mystery," and go, "Oh, it's not." <laughs> uh, yeah. So it wrestles a lot more on police procedural. It's obviously much grittier because it's dealing with a much harsher crime. I, I I would consider it close to almost like um like a mystery on or a cop procedural on NBC. So it's still okay. network safe <laughs> so even though it's yeah. gruesome uh i've rewritten it a few times and i've taken out all the swearing so maybe you know swearing doesn't make it realistic you know cops and bad guys swear a lot and stuff but um uh, I, I decided to take it out uh i once saw an interview with i think it was ian rankin on how he got like hate mail from old ladies whenever he had swearing and it's like they don't mind when i like decapitate somebody but why did i have to say the f words? <laughs> so again i guess a little bit to appease my mother my mom hates it when people swear so it's like all right Mm -hmm. even though it's not realistic and it's still very gruesome take out the swearing soften the edges a little bit but it's still not a cozy mystery by any means
1: yeah it's interesting because i know when i found out that someone had told me before the unraveling came out that she was going to give buy a copy for her mother and i just thought Oh God, I, remember <laughs> I hadn't sent it to the printers yet. So I literally went through and thought, okay, you better check your language.
0: <laughs> well, language is like, it, it's part of, uh, you know, our day-to-day life and certain yeah. people swear a lot. And it, I think it gives it an authentic, authenticity that it deserves for many stories. Uh, but then sometimes it's also remembering your audience. And, yeah. uh, you know, if my mom, is my main audience, my demographic. And she doesn't like the swearing that I could take it out. Yeah. It doesn't matter that much.
1: Yeah. 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 Now one last question, mm-hmm. uh, just before we go into timber, into your book publishing Timbercrest publishing, you have humor in this novel and um, it's humor, which people can relate to, especially if you're a dog owner. And uh, I find humor is tough. To write because it's so subjective. Okay. And I was wondering if it was all right if I read or if you want to read, it's up to you, the toaster scene in the beginning of chapter 12.
0: Uh sure. Uh I, I bookmarked that spot. Uh, so chapter 12. Something yeah. is wrong with the toaster, Charles said while making breakfast. Susanna noticed it too. The bread had it popped up with the usual gusto. It's fine, dear. Sit down and eat. After breakfast, (laughs) Suzanne got dressed and brushed her teeth. She returned to the kitchen to do the dishes, just as she did every morning while Charles was walking the dog. Surprisingly, he was still home. Nero was turning in circles by the front door, and Charles was seated at the table, tinkering with the old appliance. Careful, that thing is older than our children, she warned. It just needs a new spring, he said. And she smiled back. Shouldn't take long. She turned on the hot water and thought to herself, no one could ever accuse Charles of procrastination. By the time the dishes were finished, the toaster's innards were sprawled across the kitchen table. What a surprise, she thought. The task is proving harder than his initial assessment. It just needs a new spring, right, dear? Don't worry. I know what I'm doing, Charles said without looking up. We need to go to Rona, she said. It's like you can read my mind sometimes, he smiled. (laughs) It's not that hard, my love. Now go walk Nero (laughs) before he has an accident.
1: I'd love to (laughs) see yeah yeah I, i've i've it, it hasn't been the toaster but it's turning around and you're like oh my god right? <laughs> the spouse the has got something you know just laid out and you're like okay
0: right what's what's funny is um uh, i've no. been talking to other people who have read the book doing interviews and you're not the first person to point out like oh i love the toaster scene and and i <laughs> never i never thought in my head like oh this is going to be a br- beautiful scene um that's pivotal to the story or anything like that. It's not important at all. It just speaks to their relationship. But speaking to humor, I I didn't fully intend on making it funny. Uh, And it's funny being a writer sometimes when you're reading in public and you set up a joke and then you see your silence and you're like, Oh, I thought that was funny. And then you keep reading and then people start laughing at something different. And you're just like, Oh, (laughs) I guess I didn't focus on the humor or like I didn't get my humor as planned. But sometimes it works out anyways. Um, and that's yeah. great. And I, I've learned uh, reading in public that sometimes you have to be a little quieter and let people laugh because it's a little contagious too. So one or two people mm-hmm. chuckle, then the crowd will ease into it and chuckle too. But there's nothing worse than thinking you wrote a great joke and just hearing silence.
1: Well, it's the situation. And it's I think it's so relatable. And like I say, Nero's, poor Nero <laughs> is turning circles by the front door. <laughs> it's just it's just a screen, yeah <laughs> and okay how many of us myself included have had toast and i i make sure i unplug and you're trying to get the damn thing out with like a, a fork, <laughs> yes. right so i think it's it's the re- people can relate
0: to that yeah it's a nice yeah. touching moment between the two of them um i'd like say it also shows that like you know human beings have let's call them flaws. Um, But in a successful long-term relationship, you accept people for who they are. And I think that's what makes a successful relationship is my parents appreciate each other's shortcomings. They know to expect them. And uh, there's no point starting a fight because of Charles and his, you know, need to fix this toaster. Uh, It's just who he is. And uh, Suzanne has to accept it just as Charles accepts, you know, Suzanne has to solve this mystery.
1: So, Tell us, tell us about Timbercrest
0: Publishing. Sure. Um, I think a lot of independent authors sort of start their own publishing company almost to legitimize their their work. Um, It's great in this world now that, uh, you know, with a website, I could be just as big or I could appear just as big of a publisher as a lot of the middle ground publishers. Like, I, you know, I can't compare myself to. Simon Schuster, or or um, yeah. uh, Penguin. Uh, but if I said you know if I listed yeah. three Canadian publishers and one of them was a lie, uh, most people wouldn't know <laughs> which one was the lie. That uh, was just completely fabricated because they don't know the names of Canadian or even American publishers. It's it's not coffee talk. Mm-hmm. So once you create a publishing company and a website people kind of lose the stigma of, oh, this is an independent author. I don't want to read it because it's you know not from New York or Toronto. But you can fool yeah. people quite easily. And, and to be fair, I think the stigma that people have on independent authors is often wrong because in today's age, you can pick up a book published by Penguin and find like seven spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes. Um, yes. They slip through more and, and more know. now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah. people used to... I don't know, let's say poo-poo uh, the independent author thinking oh the grammar is going to be horrible and uh, you know the story is going to be weak, but in truth, if you're an independent mm-hmm. author and you're taking it seriously, you know my book mm-hmm. was edited by my um, well, name's Joyce Graham and she's a brilliant editor. The cover was professionally done by a graphic designer named Rola uh, Salib. beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all elements that if I was traditionally published, the publisher would do. Independent author it's my responsibility to to still do the work put in the hard work um so that i could be seen as a, you know a viable writer and uh it shows i mean i get a lot of compliments on the cover uh rola did a fantastic job yeah. uh my editor saved my life if i didn't spend you know the time and money with her uh my first draft <laughs> would be uh, poo <laughs> uh um yeah. so you 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 reach out and you get help from other people And that's sort of what Timbercrest Publishing sort of became in the sense that it evolved because I realized that I have the skills now that I could offer other independent authors uh, to help them pursue their dreams too. Well, you know the feeling. Mm -hmm. Like receiving your book in print Mm -hmm. for the first time in a box or from the mail is an amazing, amazing feeling. It's, I like to joke, but like after, you know, holding my children for the first time, my And maybe marriage, (laughs) (laughs) holding my book for the first time is an amazing, amazing feeling that um, it's hard to beat because you put so much work into it. And I know so many friends who have done all the hard work and they're there at the last stage and they're like, Oh no, nobody will publish me. And I know it's hard. I've been rejected by countless publishers too. There's so many writers nowadays, you know, how how publishers keep up Uh, a lot gets kind of swept under the rocks. Uh, But I read it and I'm like, these are brilliant stories and they deserve to be told. I know I'm the last piece of the puzzle. I can get you to the finish line. Um, And then I I have a marketing background so I can help people uh, do book launches. Uh, That's also a great feeling um, having a book launch. I'd love to have a real book launch again, (laughs) but I've been doing virtual book launches and uh, still, if there's a crowd, there's still a creative feeling, but uh, it's not quite the same as um, sitting in front of people and signing your book. That's another great feeling in life that hopefully we'll all get back to soon. Yeah. I'm already planning one, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm already in talks with the city of Port Moody to do a, a writer's festival in um, in December. So we're at the planning stages.
1: Cool. Cool. And um, let me know. Let me know. And we'll just get the word out for sure. Yeah. So, Timbercrest. Published a book, a collection of short stories. Yes. Am I correct? New Beginnings. And can you tell our listeners about New Beginnings?
0: Yeah, uh, New Beginnings was a great project. Uh, almost like any other business, I wanted to establish myself in the community. And I thought that was very, very important. um and Like I was saying too, there's so many great writers out there that aren't published, and some of them are. Um, they, they live in our community. They're, they're around us all over the place, and especially in British Columbia. There seems to be a very high ratio of great writers and where we live. Um, and I wanted to give them a platform to basically show their talents to, to our community. So I focused very heavily on our community. It's not all short stories. There's some poetry and some creative nonfiction. Uh, some of the writers, or most of the writers are close to where I live, part of the Port Moody Writers Group, but not inclusively. Some of the writers... It's actually my uh, my niece is 14. Uh, I think she was 12 when she wrote this, and it's a beautiful piece about her dog. Uh, and then some of my writers are oh. are in her 90s, and she's talking about uh, life when she was a child. So it's a beautiful eclectic mm-hmm. look at uh, British Columbia. I gave the mm-hmm. theme of new beginnings uh, partially, I, I consider a new beginning for myself because it would be the first time that I was publishing other people. Uh, but also it's such a... Mm-hmm you know, if you talk to 40 people and you ask them what new beginnings is, they all have their unique perspective of it. So it was nice because there's a lot of immigrant stories of like coming to Canada. So there's that feel to it. But then I also know horror writers and their concept of a new beginning is very different. (laughs) Mm And I, and I gave them a freedom to be like, okay, you know, I'll discuss this with you. You know, I don't want anything PG or controversial, but, um, you know, we can push, but we can push the boundaries. So, if, you know, if you truly think that a story about being bullied is the story you want to tell, then that's what we're going to tell it. Um, you know, if your story is yeah. science fiction, uh, you know, that's fine, too. Uh, if your story has a little bit of murder in it. It's, it's all right. It's your story. It's your yeah. choice. Um, so I yeah. published I published that, and I asked everybody to donate the story because uh, I was going to donate or i did donate all the proceeds of the book to uh charity so it's called share uh it's sort of like our local food bank but they do more than that they help families and communities and just by chance actually i shouldn't say this not by chance when i was researching the theme new beginnings actually is a program that uh, share runs for new families coming to our community so it's a way that uh, they let the kids Mm -hmm. sort of play together and then the parents can talk and you know, share, share stories and have a common bond and a sense of community as they come here. So I borrowed that title mm. from, from that program. And just by chance, I, I spoke to Claire McLean, the uh, CEO of uh, share. Uh, and she was saying like, Oh, we just lost some yeah. of our, our, our uh, federal funding. So, you know, it'd be great if you could raise some money for that program. Uh, so in the end, uh, we had this great book launch. Um, I did have to cover all my own costs, but I did that within about three days. And after that, since then, yeah. everything's been able to donate to back to share. Uh, so last, unfortunately, twenty twenty wasn't a great year for it, but twenty nineteen was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, local bookstores, uh, Western Sky, um, Kinder Books, and actually on the Sunshine Coast, Tailspins all sold the book, and they didn't keep; they kept like funds for their uh, for their administration, but they they gave back uh, pretty yeah. much all the profit, and so all the profit went to this great organization. Uh, so together we, we got a little bit of corporate donations and uh we raised five thousand dollars from sales. And then uh, I hope Thanks. you don't mind but uh TELUS, uh our telephone company uh in Canada, uh they matched our donation. So they gave another five thousand to share. So it was a great experience.
1: Excellent uh, I think it's
0: it's like a win-win for everybody because it like it was great exposure for the writers. Uh, some of them for the first time being published wow. uh, we The book launch was um, – I received a grant from the city of Port Moody, and so we did it in one of their facilities beside the library, and we – probably about 200 people were there. We had our local MP there, so it was great exposure for everybody. Um, They got to sign – so they got to do their reading, and then they sat down, and as books were sold, uh, they were able to sign it, so people were going around trying to collect <laughs> signature so it was a great experience oh, for them uh it was oh. the launch of my business um you know it put me on the right foot and gave me some great connections i met a lot of great people so it was a it was a win for me it was a win for my community and it was a win for this uh very deserving fundraiser
1: that's synchronicity there you you said new begin- new beginnings the title of your book and new beginnings it was a, is part of the, the the share uh, yeah the share. societies yeah yeah so cool
0: yeah so that was sort of like
1: oh, right. my branching
0: out from just publishing myself to other people yeah.
1: with publishing i did the book design for my book and i love book design and it's kind of getting bad because my daughters they'll show me a book And they'll tell me about it and I'll grab it and I'll just immediately, I'm starting to flip through the pages thinking, okay, how do they do that? (laughs) Oh, I know how they did that design. (laughs) Your design is very clean and I like it. I like it to the point where I'm looking, (laughs) I was looking at yours. I'm like, what font did he use? Which I really do want to know. (laughs) I'm not joking here. What what did you
0: use? Uh, I couldn't tell you that one uh, because that is, um, I'm not as talented of an artist as you are. Uh, so I, I hire um, uh, a woman named Rola Salib. Uh, she yeah. did the cover for New Beginnings and she did the cover for Death and Half Moon Bay. And I love working with her because okay. um, I did think of the title, like, you know, she didn't start from scratch and just give yeah. me ideas. Uh, I told her I wanted Nero on the cover because it's sort of a trope of yeah. um, cozies. Usually when you see a cozy, it's kind of yeah. cartoony and it's got a dog or a cat yeah, just being cute. So <laughs> I kind of wanted the cute dog on the cover, um, but then I wanted it classical. Yeah. So I sent her a bunch of covers from yeah. from Miss Marples of like this nice, clean, uh, clean look, like you said, uh, and making it feel like perhaps the book could be a hundred years old. Um, so it, it sort of married yeah. the cozy with the traditional. And I think she did a great job. And like I okay. said, she did the cover for a New Beginnings also. And, you know, very different concept. But she knocked it out of the park then, too. Yeah.
1: Because I'm, it's funny, I'm looking at it inside. And I'm like, is that Times New Roman? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I did do the formatting. Anyways, so the formatting is uh, mine. Uh, she just did the cover.
1: Okay. So is that Times New Roman? <laughs>
0: um, I forget this one. Probably Garmond.
1: <laughs> okay. Probably. I, I okay. tend to use Garmond a fair amount. It's just, it's so clean and, and elegant. It's an, an elegant Yeah, I,
0: I'm, I'm the same as you so. now, uh, being a publisher. Is I'm, yeah, I look a lot at the formatting, at <laughs> the spacing, and yeah, where do people yeah. put their headers? <laughs>
1: it's now part of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I had thought of this next question before Christmas, and I did. I, I forgot to ask authors who'd stop by the dressing room, and then I was thinking, okay, who... Be the best author to ask, and I thought of you and your own publishing company. Now, the CRTC has regulated Canadian radio stations that they must play a certain percentage of Canadian content with books. Um, I understand, and I, I totally get this you know, authors, Canadian authors, we want to be in the mix with everybody else, right? Um, American, UK, Australian you know, when we're in the bookstores. But do you think, because like I said, I am reading really good Canadian fiction. And I'm like, gosh, I, I just, I want more people to know about our fiction. And so then I thought, okay, in a bookstore, could they have a section that's labeled Canadian fiction or Canadian mysteries? And I get it where in a bookstore, you've got certain square footage, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and square footage means dollars. Right. But um, do you think that a bookstore could do that or should do that? Or could we do you think we'd want to have something on a cover depicting a book as Canadian fiction? Um, Because I really do want to purchase more and support more Canadian authors. What do you what do you think about that whole? concept
0: that i, I rattled on. um oh well, i love it um uh, but it's also looking at the business the business side of it because i i do speak to several uh book owners in my com- or sorry bookstore owners in my community uh, and we have discussions exactly on this um and at times they, they will okay. do that um they will put a yeah. section for just local authors and I, I love them for doing it um problem sometimes yeah. is or quite often is uh is they don't sell so um yeah it's also a tough part of being an independent author is uh our price point is often quite a bit higher than some of the paperbacks that are cheaply published um so when people say you know they come in and they say oh i'd love to support canadian authors but the price point is too high it's like over 20 dollars or something for a small paperback uh it scares people scares people off that so that uh so the bookstores could do all they can and they could promote and uh, like i said uh, my local bookstore western sky books has been fantastic for both me and other local authors and she does a great job there of uh, promoting local authors but it's also our responsibility uh, to market ourselves so just by saying i'm canadian you should buy me isn't really a good enough reason yeah. uh for somebody to buy me just you know out of blind support uh, i love their support and they do tend to, yeah. you know to to buy us on occasion but it's just a small fraction um like going back to what you said that often the large publishers want us to uh make american settings uh in order to sell more in the states yeah Uh, i sell a lot on amazon and uh, americans buy my work far more than canadians more than a 10 to 1 like closer to about a 30 to 1 ratio and i i spend equal amount of money advertising on both sides of the border and uh americans seem to Appreciate my work more than Canadians, and I, 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 just like you doing your podcast, I could look at the uh, the numbers, you know, the data. So I could search like how many uh, if I advertise my search engine so that if people put in Canadian mystery, I pop up higher up. We mm-hmm. realize like, oh, not that many Canadians actually ask for a Canadian mystery. So, you know, the fault's not in the okay. bookstore, and it's it's and it's not maybe in me is we as a community as of writers have to promote yeah. ourselves more like yeah. t- to that point, actually, uh, right before COVID uh, I met with the um, BC yeah. minister of tourism, arts, culture, and sports. Uh, her name's uh, the Honorable Lisa Beer. Yeah, um, It wasn't like a one-on-one and she didn't know who I was or anything like that. Uh, but my, my local MP put this sort of round table for artists to come and meet and talk to her. And she was, what we can do for the community and the take back that i got uh, speaking to her is like she's from maple ridge and maple ridge has a very vibrant literary community and the government supports it so we we can't really just go to government with our hands out unplanned and say just please give me money i need your support we need to create a, a vibrant literary community amongst ourselves and then say look this is what we've established can you help us out and the government, the NDP government, is uh, okay. very happy to help us. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like post, post-COVID, but I, I know that our yeah. government wants to help us, you know, so support us. And there's things like the CRTC that puts in, you know, the limit of how much Canadian content they need to put. But in reality, we'd all be better off yeah. if Canadians wanted to support Canadians more often. And And create our own community so that you know the crtc doesn't have or the radio stations don't have to be like oh i need more canadian content it's like we have so much canadian content we don't know what to do with it so we have to we have to build that bridge between us and media you know uh, patting your back again somebody doing a podcast and talking to canadian writers is a good first step
1: well thank you it's interesting because my latest analytics show that i have more American listeners than <laughs> I do Canadian it is so cool to watch, because about three days ago it was neck and neck. The it was um forty seven percent, forty seven percent, and then I had some smaller mm-hmm. percentage numbers. And, and uh, after about three days, it went boom, and it went forty five percent Canadian, forty eight percent American, and I thought, yeah. interesting. Okay, I'm going to be having a few American authors on this podcast. I have an author coming from the UK and an author coming from Japan. Well, I think it is readers aren't
0: necessarily loyal to the country they live in. Um, They just want good content. And if they're getting a good story, they don't really care. I've heard the same thing from agents and stuff that Americans aren't going to buy Canadian work. Uh, But in practice, I'm finding that not to be true at all. They don't seem to mind. the the fact that it's set in Canada. And I felt bad because we have slightly different language, right? Like color with a U in it. And I thought that was going to throw them off more than anything else, more than the setting. Um, And so far, I haven't received any complaints. Uh, I think we're creating this, or maybe in the past, maybe Americans have been slow to buy Canadian work and more eager to buy American work. But I I don't know if that's true anymore. Uh, They seem to consume as They don't seem to be overly biased
1: by our uh, different setting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. That was a cool, cool discussion. Thank you. So Eric, we're going on to my favorite question. (laughs) You know, what's coming in death in half moon Bay. If Suzanne Rickson invited you to play Mahjong because she wanted to have a chat, And uh, by the way, I would be petrified to sit down with those ladies and play Mahjong. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think Suzanne would say to you and who would win the Mahjong Mahjong game game?
0: Uh, Well, I know for a fact, I wouldn't beat Suzanne. Uh, She takes her Mahjong game very, very seriously. (laughs) Um, So even though it's a, you know, a game of chance mixed with a game of strategy uh, uh, in the story, she didn't, grow up playing Mahjong Um, it uh, was something introduced to her uh, but it's the competitive nature Her makes her need to understand it and master it uh, more than I would we'd probably have some very good discussions because I I could see her um, with her you have to sort of break the shell so once you you break the shell and she lets you in a little bit um, she's all too happy to talk to you and tell you about the intrigue in her in her world she's not so good at sometimes listening (laughs) to other people's (laughs) stories uh but i'm sure i'd hear a lot about secret cove and what's going on around there cool
1: all right so eric is there anything you would like to add and i want to know did i heard you said you're working on another book right is it it's in this series yes it is ah good good so hey when that comes out We'll, we're going to get you back on here. I hope, okay, and you can talk to us about your the second novel. I would love that. And is there anything? You, oh, good. good. <laughs> is there anything you would like to add? And where can listeners find you on the socials and on Facebook and all that?
0: Uh, the easiest is probably erickdouza dot E R I K D S O U Z A. Uh, I also have Timbercrestpublishing.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I didn't think uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have a unique spelling, so there's there's not too many other Eric D'Souza's out there. If you Google me, I'm, it's usually my spelling face you see first, so I'm I'm lucky that way. It's good to have a unique name. Okay, uh, but yeah, my uh, my website's probably the, the most active one. Sometimes not the best at responding to Facebook as fast as I should. <laughs>
1: Yeah. well there's so much out there you know there's there's so many socials and i think you need to just
0: there is pick the ones yeah that it's work. like technically i'm on twitter yeah. but i don't use it much uh i've been on i'm on instagram but i i don't know what the pictures i'm supposed to take <laughs> some people are so good at instagram <laughs> and i'm not one of them uh, i'm trying to get more active yeah. on facebook i'm trying to learn from my clients who are just some of them are just amazing on their ability to promote on facebook and i'm trying to use it more and more
1: yeah, well guess what? Twitter wiped out my account yesterday. Really? What did you post? Yeah. <laughs> no, <know>, me, right? <laughs> it's like hey, a certain politician man, I'm not like him, <laughs> right? I couldn't believe it. Like everything was gone. Like my my feed, my friends. Wow. Right? And yeah, I'm not even going to get. Uh so I'm not on Twitter. I was. I'm not. I just, you know, I tried with the help the help function and spent about 60 minutes going around in circles on the on their their help function so i just went fine you know so eric thank you i've really enjoyed our discussion thank you for coming on my podcast and um i will make sure your websites are in the show notes and uh yeah thank thank you you again for
0: having me it's like an honor especially considering the recent (laughs) authors you've been having to be said in the same breath as them
1: oh well well, thank you okay well bye bye Eric